You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So it's uh, all for play for still. I think so. Do you want to bet against us? Very, oh my goodness, what's going on with my hair at all at all? Uh, very good evening to everybody, and it's a really, really late one. I know I said I'd be here at half past night to do this podcast, and I didn't even promote this on Twitter or anything because it's 11 o'clock at night, and I'm going to do a very, very quick 10-minute to 15-minute overview of Ruben Amarim. I could speak about him for quite a while, but I don't want to. Um, as I say, I, I am very much not uh, canvassing for one manager over any other ones. I just thought it was just interesting because this guy is the most kind of outside of left field manager that we've been linked with so far obviously uh other managers we've been linked with we kind of know what they're about some of them are managed in the premier league uh before to great to some uh, deal of success and then obviously we've got other managers who are uh, who have been linked that are out of work that may have worked in the in the uh, premier league previously so i just wanted to take a little look here at ruben amarim just discuss him and as i say it's uh yeah just Basically, that's all it is, not canvassing for him or anything. I do think he is a very, very good manager, but we'll see how it pans out. And uh, should he be signed as Aston Villa manager, I will get somebody who is a lot more knowledgeable about uh, about Sporting Club de football, de, de Portugal to come on and to talk to us uh, about him. I've got somebody uh, lined up should he be um, made the new manager of Aston Villa. So let's take a little look at him and less of me and more of Ruben Amarim. Um, so that's what he looks like. Pretty strapping young man. Um, he is a young man because he's only 37 years of age. Um, I suppose if we were to talk about uh, green flags or red flags with regards to him as, as a manager himself, he has the most bonkers um, uh, ascent towards a managerial position that... Um, I've heard of him quite a while because uh, everything happened really, really quickly. And we will speak about that in a moment. But who is Ruben Amarim and who has he, what, what has he uh, achieved in his in his career, I suppose, so far? So let's take a look at his career. So Amarim played 
in his career as a midfielder, spending most of his professional career with Belenenses and Benfica, signing with the latter in 2008 and going on to win 10 major titles, including three league titles, one Taca de Portugal, uh, five Tacas de Liga, and one Super Taca. And you can pronounce the rest of that yourselves because my Portuguese is absolutely brutal. Uh, but he, he also represented Portugal in two FIFA World Cups, earning a total of four, 14 caps. Um, uh, a Benfica supporter, uh, Ruben Amarim, it was, um, it's kind of, uh, it's one of those ones he had to put that aside when he became the sporting Lisbon manager. And uh, obviously the two, the two of those teams do not like each other at all. And that is something he had to put aside. And he did it to great effect, as we will see later on with his managerial career and his short managerial career, should I say, with Sporting Lisbon and his short managerial career in general. So let's have a little look at uh, his managerial career, should I say. Uh, he started off his career with Casapia. Casapia were in the third division of... Um, of Portuguese football when he took over there. Um, I don't have the details of how many games he managed, his win rates and so on like that with Casapia, but I do know that when he was managing uh, Casapia, he was suspended because he didn't have the requisite managerial licenses at the time, and the club themselves actually took a six-point penalty. And it was at that point during his suspension that he actually left the club and uh, he, he left the club and a short period later he, st- he took up a position with Braga B after obtaining his uh, his licenses and he went on to obtain further licenses with Braga B. While he was only there, he was only there for two months, as we can see there, September 2019 to December 2019. And at that stage, Braga had sacked their manager and brought him into the hot seat. And um, we'll see why in a moment. He had a short period of time with Braga B, but uh, in the short amount of matches that he that he did manage them, he had a fantastic record with them. Um, took over the main uh, Braga gig in December 2019, and then in March 2020, Sporting Lisbon took a massive gamble on him, huge, huge gamble on him. And we'll speak about that as well because he don't like everybody had, could see what a good manager he was. They could see tactically how tactically and uh, tactically um, advanced he was, and, and I suppose what he would do in a man management role with regards to his players. Braga actually, when they when they hired him as their manager, after only having them as his B team, their B team manager for two and a half months, they gave they put a ten million euro release clause on his head. And three months after Braga signed him, Sporting Lisbon, Sporting Club de Portugal, whatever you want to call him, they came along and they paid that 10 million. At the time, Sporting were in dire straits. They needed someone to come in and change the culture of the club. They hadn't won the league in 19 years. I think it was 19 years is what it was. And they needed somebody to come in here, shake it up, make stuff happen. And they paid 10 million for a manager when they didn't exactly have the greatest finances behind them. And that manager was Ruben Amorim, as you can see here. And from then, from March 2020, the next year, he takes them to the league title. Takes them to the league title in Portugal. First league title in 19 years. And uh, that that actually blew my mind. I didn't know it had been that long um, since Sporting had won the title in um, in Portugal. Because you'd always, you know, you think of the top three in, in, in Portugal that it would be. You'd think it would be Sporting, it would be Benfica, it would be Porto. But Sporting were very much drifting away. And they were becoming the poor relation of Benfica and Porto. And even to, to to a lesser extent, to teams like like Braga, who wouldn't have have the financial clout that uh, any of the rest of the, the the top three that I mentioned there would have. And uh, so he comes in there, he wins the league with, with, with Sporting, and he starts playing some really, um, I'm going to say it's uncomplex tactical. Uh, it, his tactics are very are very simple. 
They're not very complex at all. They may look complex, but they're they're very simple. But what he demands is real discipline and how you play, specifically in defence. Um, he is a very good defensive coach. And as we'll see, with regards to the amount of goals that they, the teams concede, they don't concede an awful lot of goals. Um, one of the things I forgot to mention here as well is during his time at Sporting, the Portuguese League and the coefficient rankings within Europe actually jumped above the French League to become the fifth uh, or the fourth, be- fourth, I think it's the fourth best league within Europe. One, two, three. Oh, sorry, the fifth best league within Europe. Um, I forgot all about Germany. <laughs> so it actually leapfrogged uh, the French League. And the majority of the reason for that is that the French League is more or less only won by one team or it's dominated by PSG. And that does affect, I suppose, the competitive nature of the French League. But uh, the Portuguese League, as I say, an awful lot of people will look at it and go, will look at uh, the league and maybe poo poo it slightly, but coefficiently and where it ranks within Europe will be in the top five leagues within Europe. Um, so that is just something to bear in mind there as well. Above, uh, you know, the Dutch league, above the and, and recently above the French league. So I'm led to believe. Anyway, Ruben Amorin comes in, and how does he play? You know, he's or what? What are his kind of statistics as a manager? First, I suppose before we look at how he plays. The big thing was he did come in at Sporting. He's played in European competition with Sporting since the day that he set foot inside there. Winning the league was absolutely huge for them. They finished second in the league last year. Now this season so far, they've played uh, a total of nine games. I think is it eight or nine games? It's eight. It's eight. Uh, nine games. They've won five, drawn one, and lost three so far. But I can I can talk the context with regards to that in a moment. Also, um, I don't have a slide in it, but you'll probably pick it up when I start talking about their tactical ability in a moment. Uh, his managerial statistics here, as I say, I don't have any statistics for his Casapia um travails. It wasn't that long at all. But when we look at Braga B, he only managed eleven games for Braga B, winning eight, drawing two, losing one. Uh, twenty seven goals, four and seven goals against with a plus 20 goal difference and a 73% win rate. Then he goes to Braga. Guys, I wasn't lying when I said that he that his tenure at Braga and his meteoric rise was... Uh, it, it, that's exactly what it is. It's meteoric. Um, 13 games with Braga A, the Braga, Braga senior team, the Braga A team, 10 wins, 1 draw, 2 losses, 27 goals for 13 goals against plus 14, 77% win rate for a team like Braga. And then he gets the gig at Sporting Lisbon. As I say, they paid $10 million to release him from his contract. The rumours are at the moment that he has a $30 million release contract in his contract at this, or lease clause in his contract at this moment in time. Whether that is true or not, I have absolutely no idea. But since he's taken over Sporting, he's played 122 games, 86 wins, 16 draws, 20 losses. Goals for 232 against 105 and a goal difference of plus 127 with a 71% win rate. That's in all competitions. So, you know, I, I haven't looked at any of your comments, guys, so I, I don't know if anybody has said this already. And and I know there's going to be a lot of people talking about Premier League experience. I'm talking about Ruben Amarim. We have been linked to Ruben Amarim. I think it's important to speak about people that we're linked to. So that's why, why I'm bringing this up. Um, the Portuguese League, as I say, sporting were drifting in the mid-table mid of, of the Portuguese league. Financially, they were not in a good spot as well. This guy came in, changed the, changed the culture within the team, had, won them a league in his, essentially his first full season, and uh, he's only 37 years of age, and he's got a really good win rate. He performed pretty decently in, in Europe. Yes, they did get hammered by Man City last season in the Champions League. We, like, as I say, 
like he was without sin throughout the first stone in that aspect. There are a lot of teams that got hammered last year by Man City, um, and they did get a bit of a drubbing by Man City in the Champions League last season. Uh, Marseille gave him a bit of a hiding in the in the uh, in Europe this season, mostly because uh, I think. I'm almost certain Sporting's goalkeeper was sent off really early in that game or he went off injured and they had another player sent off or something. Uh, maybe they might have even had two players sent off early in that game. I can't really remember. But I remember uh, I remember there was context towards that uh, as well. But as you can see there, with a team like Sporting, transformed them mostly on the cultural side of things. And, um, and, then, uh, and, and he also used youth players as well in his first season. Um, I will talk a small little bit in a moment about maybe some criticisms that he has come in for recently um, because it hasn't been, as I say, by sporting standards, five wins, one draw and three losses. They're sitting fifth in the league at the moment. They're one win away from getting up into third in the league. And are, I think, from memory, I think they're about seven points off top. But that's considered a bad start for sporting at the moment. But we we snap your hand off at the wrist for something along those lines um, with Aston Villa Football Club. I'm going to pause for a moment. I'm going to take a look at some of the comments. I, I haven't opened, opened any of the comments yet, but I am going to pause and take a, a look at some of the comments. Um, so firstly, we have Aston the Villa fans says, how are you, how are you doing? And Gaz says, hi, hello, boys. And it's Chloe. Um uh true magpie i'm so sorry i was you were just about to go to sleep when your mcgrath pod alert pings <laughs> thanks William, for for not snoozing it and coming on to watch um sean green asks do i uh uh do i ever sleep um it's debatable at the moment it's debatable at the minute um jonah says stupid sacking league two next problem is above uh Fill in the gaps there for me, Jonas. Was it Stephen Gerrard? Was a stupid sacking, and we're going to get, we're going to get relegated to League Two. Is it? Uh, look, I'm not talking about Stephen Gerrard. Not the Stephen Gerrard po podcast. Um, uh, we're just going to go down here a small bit more, small bit more, small bit more, small bit more. Oh, excellent. Matt Hayes is a Tottenham versus Sporting game on Wednesday. You put in a good word. Maybe you mightn't have a chance to. Maybe he'll already be in Birmingham at that stage. Well, we hope he will be pretty soon. We hope it's not a long drawn out affair anyway uh, at this moment in time. But uh, yeah, if you could bring the 30 million in a briefcase in unmarked sequential uh, bills, Matt, that would be fantastic and just hand it over to him on our behalf. You know, that might be nice uh, to get it over the line, um, <laughs> as I say. Um, Tree Engine RBD, RBO says, CV really lacking. I, I'm not sure it is, just because he's a young manager. I think he's done quite a lot. He's won the league. He's finished second, and he's he's uh, gotten to the knockout stages in Europe. So uh, I suppose if maybe, and it's 100% okay to look for somebody more experienced. I actually agree in a lot of as aspects with regards to Ruben Amorim. Um, he very nearly became the PSG coach after Mauricio Pochettino was was uh, was sacked uh, earlier on this season, and um, you know that was that's how highly he regard he's held in Europe as well. But it's okay; it's one hundred percent okay to look for more experience. That is a red flag with this guy as well. Having such a short time to come up through the through, through the ranks within management, he has hit his stride with with Sporting in a better league. I can I think everybody can. Can agree than maybe the Scottish League or something like that, and he's performed really well against uh, in in uh, European competition too. Um, 
Let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Um, yeah, there's one here. It looks promising, but I'm on the fence. Feels like a gamble. I think, to be honest with you, the Alpha Ryu, I think anybody's going to be a gamble at the moment because uh, unless it is somebody like uh, a big name like Pochettino. But look, as I say, there's a lot saying that he's turned this down at the moment. I believe everything and I disbelieve everything that I hear at this moment in time. We'll know when we know who the manager is. And I just think that it's nice to nice to, to have a look at these guys as, as, as they are linked there anyway let's um let's move on towards uh some small piece of tactical uh analysis now i was going into going to go into more detail in this from a slide point of view but i'm just going to talk through it so tactically what ruben amarim has, has traditionally played is like a three four three kind of formation five three five five two three five three two four you know he's his team is fluid in both defending and attack and i think that I think it's interesting because the way that he plays uh, might actually suit some of the players we have. We're going to be missing one or two key ingredients. I'm not missing them, but I can't really identify one or two, one ingredient in particular that we would need um, to fit into his, the, to the way that we played in, that they played, should I say, in 2021 when he won the league. Um, uh, and that's, that's basically, that's a guy we just saw in two, last night, Joe Polina. Um, he was absolutely fantastic for them. He was one of Ruben Amarim's big, big, big players. Needed him. Was very, very pivotal within his team because where you look at those two guys there in midfield, those that double pivot in there are, need to be very industrious. And one of them does need to have a bully boy mentality. And potentially, it could be somebody like Leo Dendonker with, with Aston Villa. Um, but as I say, João Paulinho was was definitely that guy there. He played alongside another man who's joined, come to the to the Premier League in Mateus Nunes as well, and the two of them had a really really good understanding Nunes was more of an attacking player obviously playing with Wolves now at, at, at the moment he was much more of an attacking player and um, but he did play in that kind of deep pivot that started here so the way that the team usually sets up is they set up with three at the back Sebastian Quetta is obviously with Liverpool previously is the captain for um for sporting sporting um Lisbon at the moment he anchors down that middle of the back three and there's a right footer and a left footer either side of him I think that the center halves that we have can definitely play this Quetta has actually stepped forward a small bit more to kind of create a, almost a, like a libero type of of player so he almost steps forward and leaves the other two guys then to cover him behind they're more um astute players they're more they're more um, athletic players. So if you think of this, Aston Villa could maybe have a Benrack in the middle and maybe have a, um, a Mings wide, uh, Mings on the left, Kanza on the right. And essentially what we would do is we would almost set up the way that we've, we set up at the end of last season when our fullbacks were higher, except we'd have three defending as opposed to two. The big thing here is it's not that difficult to set that set up like this. And Ruben Amarim doesn't make it difficult. He's very much a kind of a, a manager who simplifies um, it simplifies his tactics, simplifies his movement, specifically within that back five and that two-man mid-block that they that they have here. Up front, he needs to have some mavericks. He needs to have players that are, he needs to have at least one positionless player, like he had with um, what's that guy's name, Pedro Gun Gun. Gonzalez, I think his name is. I can't, I can't pronounce his surname, but really great up and coming player himself. Nunes and Palina were the were the big big men for them last season, and they were the pivotal guys. And all those guys played in that kind of midfield triangle. And that's one of the things that when I speak about triangles, there, that's one of the things that the Amarim tries to set up. It's very much uh, based on those triangles. Like I don't know, I'm trying to. 
like I, I listened to 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 a, a, a podcast them some times ago, and they said that he tries to create at any given time ten triangles on the field, so you can work in in kind of in in unison, so players can work in unison. But and this is something that might resonate with some Aston Villa fans is lots and lots, if not everything, does go through their wing backs. Those wing backs stay wide. They're given a license. They get back quickly. But they, they do stay wide. And when we look at where they are in an attacking sense here, the central striker and Paulinho, not Palinha, Palinha, who is the, the defensive midfielder, Paulinho, he drops back. And when when they're in a, when the attack starts, he searches for the deepest midfielder. And he kind of he sticks on him. And he becomes that advanced pivot. He's not a massive target man. He's, I think he's about six foot one or whatever, but the team doesn't need a massive target man, doesn't want a massive target man. He sticks back. The two wide or inverted forwards, should I say, there, like we would have the inverted tens, if you want to call them the way that Steven Gerrard played. They almost push up onto the center halves and then they start moving. You have your positionless player. There's one positionless player there. It starts to drag around. Obviously, Paulinho, because he's the or Paulinho, because he is the the striker, does rejoin the attack. But what he does is he creates that advanced pivot. Needs to be a very busy player. I can think of one of those that plays for Aston Villa. Maybe doesn't have the finishing product um, that we would all like, but somebody who will definitely be able to drop deep like that doesn't need to be a target man. Doesn't need to be standing under the ball, but just needs to be able to take the ball into him. That does need to improve. And maybe then uh, he's got the wing backs. Wing backs will get up close to him. There will be an option for him. The, the deep pivots will push forward a spot a bit. They will also be an option for him. And then he can rejoin his, his central attack. Very much the way that uh, the, the, the Sporting played last season is it, it gets quicker as the attack builds up. Very disciplined in defence. Very And as you begin to attack, the attack gets quicker. Um, I have a couple of notes written down here. So um, from watching some of his stuff, uh, I think a big thing is that the forwards need to run between defences, between defenders. It's a big part of his game. Slide rule passes, making sure that the two inverted forwards are busy as opposed to trying to find an area, trying to be in an area where people know they're going to be so they can pass them the ball. They need to be busy. They need to be hunting space. They need to attack centrally because our wide players are two wide fullbacks. They are the people who, who take up the space out wide. The defend or the, the, the strikers, the three, they attack centrally as much as they possibly can. Um, he doesn't need a target man, but he does need somebody that will um, will be an advanced pivot. Yes, I said that already. Um, one of the biggest things that you'll find when they do when they do lose the ball, uh, when Sporting lose the ball um, high up the field, is they retreat really quickly. The fullbacks get back. The, the the three at the back never really go too far. Yes, one does step up like I've shown there. That's purposely shown. He does step up there to create a little triangle. That's Sebastian Quattes, usually. Not the most athletic player, but the reason he steps up into that position is because the two boys are there beside him. And it also they, it, it creates an almost a, a false high line, which encourages play, uh, teams to kind of try and play him behind. But the two center halves are there. So it's not rocket science. It, the way that he the way that he plays, what he does is he covers off areas in the field, stops passing lanes, and he will see that they'll be so resolute in defence, they'll be very de defensively disciplined, and um, they play with that five-two block, if you want to call it that mid block, whatever whatever uh, way you you want to describe it, and they'll always look to run like when they're when they're hassling and when they're chasing, they'll run to cover cover players and they'll try and shadow players in the wide positions. You'll very rarely see a four-five man press. 
from from the team. It's normally only presses with three, and and the majority of the pressing is done by one of the two pivots and the three strikers. So the three strikers have to be super busy, and I think that's one thing you could probably say that our strikers can be if they aren't. Uh, if um, albeit that the the, the what you call it the the finishing isn't there from them. Um, there's, there would be like I would still be all for upgrading our strike force, and I think everybody would be here as well, regardless of who comes in. Who comes in? Um, the wing backs are pivotal. Wing backs are very, very pivotal. And I want to speak about those for a moment. I'm just looking at some notes that I've written down here. Um, wing backs seem to move with the play, so they move up and down the field with the play. You'll very rarely see that the wing back will be the the um the overload ball they'll very rarely see that he that they'll be like a Gary Neville overlap like pop bombing up the wing trying to get there they move more so with the play as an option but they do get high and they do get into that high get into a pretty high position because they have an opportunity to because there's always four if not five men left behind so they attack they attack with five and they or sorry they attack with six and they um and they they defend with four usually that's how they how they how they do it and that to me sounds pretty sound to be honest with you um as i say the setup in both attack and defense in the transitions there is all about creating triangles all about creating an option left and right all about uh trying to spread the field wide with our full backs while also keeping a man behind you at all times to kind of to mind the house and i like that um what else have i written down here uh oh yes i wanted to talk about uh about pedro pedro Gon- gonzalez uh palina uh, palino uh palina sorry and um uh mateus nunes um so the two the two central midfielders as we would know them here they would be uh, as i said palina who's now playing with uh fulham and mateus nunes they were really busy. Nunes was all over the place. He was everywhere. He was that that pivot man or that metronome man. The ball would come to him, quick passes all over the place. Really, really stood out. That's how he got his big move to Wolves. More of an attacking player that dropped deep. That was dropped deep by Amarim. Um, was the way that I saw him into that kind of six, that kind of um, from a ten into an eight position, almost into a six position there. But the position, as I said, that I think may be missing is the Palinia position, that bully position. Bubakar Kamara would. Very likely take up that position when he is fit. Maybe you you would see a Kamara and a Dendonker in there. I'm not 100 percent sure. Maybe John McGinn could play that role that uh, that Mateus Nunes played because you need to be very very um, athletic. You need to be very quick. You need to be have a have a good engine. And I think for all the faults and failings that we would say about John McGinn, he does have a good engine to get around the field. Albeit we all know his pass completion rate needs to get right up there because at this moment in time and over the last 12 months it hasn't been there. And that's one of the biggest criticisms um, for him as well. But Pedro Gonzalez, um, he would have played on the left-hand side of the front three with Pablo Sarabia playing on the right-hand side. Sarabia has now moved on. I can't remember who he's moved to, but they did form an unbelievable partnership up there. The team needs that positionless player and that positionless player was Pedro Gonzalez and we're going to see, you're going to see him he's still with sporting at the moment you're going to see him at um he's going to be somebody that will just bounce off the page if you look at uh, look at any portuguese game watch him 
he's one of the starlets of Portuguese football at this uh, at the mo- this moment in time. And and you know the team ticks with somebody who can play that positionless position. I don't know if it's if it's going to be a Coutinho, a Buendia. Um, I've no idea. It's not for me to decide that. But that's what Ruben Amorim played with, and I think that that's a really uh interesting. It's a really interesting position that I think that when we look at the way that he sets up Villa. In the main, I would say ninety percent of the of the types of players that you would need to fit into a Ruben Amorim uh, Marine team, Aston Villa would have. So when we talk about why is he being targeted, yes, he's got it. Yes, his experience level is low. Have to like I'm not. It's obvious, obvious that that's the case. He's been really successful in a short period of time. Really, really successful, and he's shown some good tactical tactical setups. Um, maybe he's being being um. Maybe he's being uh, targeted for the simple fact that, you know, the, the brain trust or the, or the football men who are there, they probably they can see that maybe we have the players that immediately fit into the system that he plays. Yes, it's going to take tweaking. Yes, it's going to take some, some gelling. It's going to take some work on the coaching field. But that's what the World Cup break would be. I don't envisage an awful lot of our players will be at the World Cup. Um... I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg. This is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Not a lot of players are players at all will be at the World Cup, I would say. So maybe our goalkeeper, but from our outfield player playing positions, you know, we will have quite a lot of people back in Bodymore Heat. And I would imagine that there would be more than uh, a mini um, off-season held then. I would imagine it would be almost a full off-season. Ruben Amorim is a colourful character in interviews. There's a touch of the Mourinho's about him in interviews, uh, specifically with the... Um, he has been known to say in an interview, um, and look, once again, I put my hands up here and I say, I've given out about Steven Gerrard turning around and saying, this guy needs to be better. Amarim does it from time to time as well. Um, and sometimes he will he will sit there and he will have a pretty colorful interview as well um, from time to time. Whether he's in, whether he's won a game or whether he's lost the game, that's one little thing I would like to I would mention about him. Um, I've been listening to a lot of Sporting Lisbon podcasts Today and yes, well, today more so um, since uh, since the news broke. And I did listen to one or two of them that said that potentially um, because of the the success he's brought to Sporting Lisbon, that some fans are looking for him to be sacked because he's lost three games to, at the start of the season already. And um, one of the podcasts was saying there was one guy on it who thinks he should be sacked because They've lost three games and he, they see it as regression after winning the league and finishing second last season. They did lose to Vazrim, I think they're called, in the in the cup um, at the weekend, who are a third division team. But listen, he'll fit in very well at Aston Villa if he loses the third division teams in the cup. 
or if he loses to Manchester United. So can't really hold that one against him. But um, in the main, the fans absolutely love him. Obviously, they were they brought him his first, their first title in 19 years. So that's, uh, as I say, it was a bit of an outlier, but it's important to mention it because you will find online after that, that defeat last week in the Cup that some fans were calling for him to be sacked. But I don't think the board will sack him. I don't think the board could afford to sack him. He does only have 18 months left in his contract as well. That is something that is uh, is well known. So with this 30 million release clause of sport, I, I would imagine if Villa really did want him and that was something to that was a, a position that uh, that was maybe a stumbling block. Maybe Sporting hold out for that, but with 18 months in his contract, I think that you would be able to come to some sort of agreement there. Um, the club are not rich. Sporting Lisbon are not rich. So when I saw this morning that uh, it was going to be very difficult to tempt him away from the club, um, I think that's probably more so from the fact that he has had conversations and it, it's been reported that PSG were very high in signing him before they brought in... Um, my God, these names escapes me. Is it Galtier? Um, that they've brought in there, um, but they were very high on, on potentially signing this guy as Pochettino's replacement at PSG. And I think, I think thinking along the lines when he's been having like those names kind of mentioned, and he was mentioned uh, with regards to some other clubs as well. Manchester United apparently were even sniffing. I couldn't see stuff on that. I could only read it on 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 Twitter. I couldn't see any links towards that. But um, you know, so he is highly thought of uh, amongst Europe. Whether he works in the in the Premier League, I could not tell you. Whether he works for Aston Villa, I could not tell you. Whether he signs for Aston Villa, I could not tell you. But he's an interesting character. He's an interesting um, review. And I would advise you guys, like, and I, and I don't like to advise people to do this, but watch a couple of the highlights of a couple of games. Uh, not even highlights, but you'll find full games on YouTube. And if you've nothing to do and you're a sad or like me, sit down and watch them on double or treble the speed if you can... If you can uh, you know, download it or, or find a way to convert it, pop it into a video player and watch it at double the speed or whatever. And you'll just see the way players move around or even one and a half times the speed. It's just, it's an interesting watch. He's a difficult, he's a very simplistic tactical overview. It's all about covering spaces. It's all about being, uh, making sure there's a man behind you so that you don't commit too far forward, being disciplined in defense and realistically just having a blank canvas for his strikers up top. Um, but as I say, that has its difficulties as well. I'm going to leave it at that. This is supposed to be a 10-minute podcast. It's 31 minutes. It's 25 minutes past 11. I will come to some of your comments first before I leave because I um, absolutely um, neglected those there for a while. Um, Marine Boy says, Gerard had better stats than that. Um, at Rangers, I couldn't tell you what Gerard's stats were at Rangers, but uh, Scotland is a significant poorer league than Portugal. Um, so that is always born into fact, I think, when we look at any statistics, um, for sure. Um, where else are we there? Uh, uh, what kind of football does he play? Hopefully, I described what type of football he plays there. Michael Byrne, Michael Byrne headed up there. Um, where else are we there? Um, sorry, guys. Sorry. There's a couple of people saying Gerard vibes off him. That's okay. If I, I, I don't know. I've seen, I see that the team plays completely different to the way Rangers did at a higher level of football as well. But as I say, that's cool. Uh, the, the, the experience thing I can for sure admit is, is on par, if not worse. He's, he's less experienced than Steven Gerrard did, or at least on par. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure. I don't know what Gerrard's statistics were before he came to, before he came to Villa with Rangers. But uh, yeah, as I say, 
um, that is a fair fair cop, a fair criticism, I suppose, as well. Um, where else are we? Da, 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 da. Herbert Ch Matt says Herbert Chapman vibes off that attacking formation. Yeah, we take that. We take that as well. Um, yeah. Uh, where else are we, gear guys? Guys, I'm actually going to abandon the comments. Apologies. I just don't know where they are, and some of them are disappearing here in front of me. The system does have a bit of a glitchy side to it from time to time, and it's half past 11 so i'm afraid in case i start reading things wrong and start accusing people and telling of of, <laughs> of saying stuff that maybe are mis misconstruing stuff you know that i read in the comments and uh as i say um no it's too late for 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 that at this minute in time as i say guys thanks so much for watching i hope that you know as i say this is just a a piece that I did in him. Feel free to, to form your own opinion. Put the comments in underneath, as I say. Go away. Do a small bit of research on him. Read about him. Watch some of the games. Look up some of the... Like, you'll find stuff on... on um on, there's, there's, there's lots of websites that have written about him very, very... Um, uh, extensively and, and exp explained him, they explained that he is this guy who's kind of taking European football by storm and that European football is in love with him. Um, there were anyway up to about six or seven months ago. I'm sure it is exactly the same. A lot of the, a lot of the, the articles you will read will be uh, from about May of last year, April, May of last year. But have, have a read of them. And as I say, form your own opinions. And I, was, I, I, I think he's an interesting character. I'm not canvassing for anyone here. If he does come in, I give him all my support. And if he doesn't come in, well, then um, there'll be a reason that the, sport, that the club didn't, didn't sign him. But uh, he's a 37-year-old up-and-coming manager that has had a lot of success in his short period, the short period of time he's been at, at the club he's been at. And uh, I think that we should all get to know who our prospective new managers may be, even if they don't come to the club anyway. So hopefully this is beneficial for you guys. If you did like it, give us a thumbs up. Um, if you are not a subscriber to the podcast, please subscribe to the podcast. And I might be back tomorrow if something breaks. But if not, I won't be here with any other managerial uh, uh, kind of profiles or anything like that. Um, Sunday, I might get around to a couple of them after the game or during the game or between or before the game, depending on how boring the game is. Um, and I might do one or two guys that are in the Premier League at the moment. So we'll take a look at those. But if you like them. Thanks. If you don't, thanks as well. And if there's anybody that you'd like me to try and maybe fling something together on, just let me know in uh, on Twitter and I'd be delighted to do that. But anyway, thanks very much, guys. Really appreciate you staying up this late. Um, enjoy the rest of your Friday afternoon. And all that's left to say is up the villa. Podcast Network.